Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral. I'm your host, Grant LeBeau. If you're a small business owner, like me, some of today's story might sound eerily familiar. Yeah, some of the nouns might be a little different, swap in this widget for that, but chances are, if you're struggling through 2020, then you'll see a little bit of yourself in the mirror of today's interview. And if you're not a small business owner, you'll hopefully get some insight into what it's like to have the accumulation of years of effort, risk, blood, sweat, and tears, all tested by forces way outside your control. Either way, today you'll see through the lens of someone who had planned on 2020 being the best year ever for their yoga studio franchise and not the struggle to stay open that this year has become. And we're going to hear all about that struggle, but first... Our fun fact. Yay! Today's fun fact is, for the first time in a while, actually fun. Or at least good news. Carbon emissions in 2020 have decreased 6% globally compared to 2019. Spain is leading the charge with a 17% decrease, while France, Italy, the UK, and the US have all seen a 12-13% dip. Yes, this comes on the back of mass unemployment, depressed economic numbers, and a global health disaster, but glass half full, this may actually be a lasting positive that outlives the pandemic. Since roughly half the drop has come from decreased land transportation, maybe the spike in companies allowing employees to work from home will make the drop permanent and Mother Nature will get a win. It could happen. It's time now for our facts and figures, and we start with COVID. And it's not good. Just as scientists warned, cold weather and the return to the indoors is contributing to a rapid spike in cases in the Northern Hemisphere, especially in Europe. In the last week alone, global cases increased 6%, and we are seeing a spike at home in the U.S. with more than a third of states setting record highs for new daily cases, resulting in a double-digit increase nationally. On to the economy, national unemployment dropped again this week to 7.7%, the lowest since the 4% days of early March, and roughly half of the April high of 15%. This seems like good news, and it is, but as the New York Times pointed out in a recent article, that drop isn't all good. 1.1 million people dropped out of the workforce in August and September, meaning they are no longer counted as unemployed. That's right, if you, for whatever reason, give up on finding a new job, you are no longer counted as unemployed. So yes, unemployment went down, but it's not because everyone who was looking for a job found a job. 800,000 women decided the opportunities, for whatever reason, just weren't worth it, either due to some combination of health risks, a tight market, or the elephant in the room with school closures, childcare. Yet to be seen is just how large and how long-lasting the effects of this will be, but it will certainly not help equity in terms of gender pay or equal representation in management or on boards. Finally, finishing with the major stock market indices, they all continue to rise, either approaching or exceeding their record highs in February. And although the last month has been rocky, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin 
are talking and may actually be putting together a stimulus package here in the 25th hour, considering the original stimulus expired months ago, ending enhanced jobless benefits. A second stimulus is something the 1% and their portfolios, and the 99% with their actual human needs, can agree would be a very good thing to help us get through a COVID winter. And on that cheery note, let's get to our interview. My guest today is Jess Pierno, Pentagon staffer turned founder and owner of Yoga Heights. Yoga Heights has three studio locations in the Washington, D.C. area, as well as a full offering of live classes online, a COVID necessity. Jess is a natural entrepreneur, a slightly cynical optimist, and told me she is okay with big emotions and crying in public. Add in her master's degree from Georgetown, and Jess basically has the absolute perfect pedigree to be on a podcast about vulnerability and small business struggles within a global pandemic. So let's get to it. Jess, thanks so much for being here. Good morning. Uh, I am excited to have you on because you have such a fun story for how you got to be where you are now. Uh, your path to yoga teacher, I feel like, is slightly different than your original career path. Uh, I was going to say it's different than most yoga teachers, but you live in D.C., so maybe you just like put in your required time uh, in, in, on the D.C. circuit. So I guess to start with, tell us what is your background and we can get to how it led you to owning a, a growing chain of yoga studios. Sure. Yeah, I think my experience is probably not normal outside of D.C., but inside of D.C., you find a lot of uh, ex-government employees who have transitioned into entrepreneurship. So I started out uh, working in the Department of Defense and spent a few years there and quickly learned that that was not what made me happy or uh, I didn't feel useful and I didn't feel like it was using my skill set and I cried in my cubicle a lot. And so then I took yoga teacher training as a distraction. Uh, basically like, oh, this will be one fun hobby that I can do. And I completely fell in love with it. And it, you know, through a series of events, none of which were direct or easy, uh, I now own three yoga studios in the Washington, D.C. area. <laughs> and I believe you you found yoga only after uh, some, some extended education, uh, right? You got your master's? <laughs> yes, I have a really amazing master's of science in foreign service from Georgetown University. I have an undergraduate degree in economics and international studies because I was going to go, you know, be a policymaker who changed the world abroad. Um, all of those degrees are delightful and rather useless at this point in my life. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they help uh, you gain a deeper understanding when you're, when you're reading the New York Times or, or Washington Post or whatever it is you, you, you're reading day to day. Yes, or the Bhagavad Gita, or studying the history of yoga, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Right, right, or, or whatever it might be. Um, when you were working at the Pentagon, you were doing your yoga teacher training, right? Yeah, so I uh, became a yoga teacher while I was working in um, the Office of Secretary of Defense for policy, 
um, in a small office there. And I convinced my coworkers and people from their offices that yoke them and it does help them, right? It was great for reducing stress and calming down and all the things that yoga is great for. So I was able to find a very small quote unquote office, which was really just a large closet and um, started a small yoga studio within one of the corridors of the Pentagon and folks would come in at lunch and we even put out some, like we couldn't have candles because that was a fire hazard and you know, in this like super bureaucratic place, you can't break the rule. So we had some um, scented like wall plugins to try to make it smell like lavender. And I put like a cloth over one of the light fixtures to try to make it look like less <laughs> of a sort of inside of an office. <laughs> And yeah, we would do some yoga at lunchtime and people would come in and be still in their like pantsuits and skirts and whatever they were wearing that day. But it was lovely to get these people who were doing really big, important things in their job to slow down and take a few deep breaths. And I told myself that, you know, that was my way of making a difference in the world because they were then going to go back to their office and be able to do their job a little bit calmer, a little bit more um, at ease. And so it was a great way to launch into a yoga career. So you were, you were indirectly prom- promoting uh, diplomacy over, over dropping bombs because the people making those decisions were gonna be a little bit more relaxed. That was my hope, I think so. <laughs> what year was it that you opened your first yoga studio? And what was it like mentally making that transition from you know, the, this, this pursuit of, of higher education and, and like, you know, self-betterment as you prepared for this, you know, 30-year career in, in, you know, American diplomacy and bureaucracy, and then making this hard tangential change into the world of yoga. It's complex, as all things are, right? <laughs> in the moment, I was so frustrated and sad at work, and I felt just really like, my passion and excitement and drive weren't being utilized in the office where I was. And so I just felt kind of like squished down all the time. So leaving that felt incredibly liberating and sort of lit my fire, right? And I got to like make decisions and do things immediately. And like there were results for my decisions on an immediate basis, which is sort of entrepreneurship in a nutshell. Um, all decisions fall on your shoulders for better or worse. But then it was also like there's the personal identity thing that you're sort of alluding to and that I dealt with of I had been on this really straight path. Like you go to school, you go to grad school, you get a job, you wear your business suit and your high heels and you just sort of, that was the path I thought I would be on. So then to go to um, happy hours or, you know, parties around town and have to like, stand proud and say, oh, I don't do that anymore. Now I'm a yoga teacher. Took a little mental adjusting on my own part and, and recognizing that like, hey, a yoga teacher is no less than a bureaucrat who works in the Pentagon, you know, and that those two things were at an equal level in terms of importance. And now I just don't have to wear shoes. <laughs> like I get to still do important work. And I get to wear whatever I want and be comfortable. And um, 
yeah, it was a big, it was a big shift for my personality or for how I presented myself and how I saw myself fitting into the world and what I would offer the world. Right. The amount of value that we place on our identity in terms of perception from the outside world, I think can be really difficult and sometimes just challenging to, to make a person, a move that should be personal. And because who cares what the outside world is, is perceiving of you. First of all, it's like, you know, in elementary school or middle school, where like you think that the whole world is watching you, but really everyone's concerned with their own issues. But I get the, the going to a cocktail party or being around town and answering someone's question and trying to present this sort of like, not a facade, but just worried about the judgment that may or may not come from your answer. And, and just realizing that like, really it's about pursuing whatever it is that makes, that makes you happy and makes you feel the most fulfilled uh, in your little journey around the sun, I guess. So. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair to folks, it was a little crazy, right? (laughs) Because I had just spent a lot of money and years of my life getting this degree to go do one thing. And then took a very uh, big turn. And so people who knew me previously were like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> so it just took a little explaining. Yeah. I think you, you can't always make the, the most efficient possible decisions and, and take like the most efficient route to get where you are going because like that's, that is the journey, right? You're going to have some missteps and, and, and kind of meander in, in route to, to whatever the destination, but it's about the journey. So who cares? Uh, I, I want to hear about. Who cares? <laughs> uh, yeah, who cares? So I want to. I want to hear about your first few years, or I guess you're what seven years in now. Yes. Oh, sorry. I think you asked that question long ago. Um, <laughs> we opened. I had a business partner initially, and we opened Yoga Heights in. Well, to be specific, April 29th, 2014 was our first class. We may or may not have actually had our permits in hand that day. That's right. I think the statute of limitations has since passed. (laughs) Yeah, that was sort of the first lesson in ask for forgiveness later. And you just sometimes have to go and get it done. So we've been open for now, what is that, many years? (laughs) Over six years. And have expanded from one studio location into three studio locations. We've gone from a small little team of yoga teachers to pre-pandemic days, about 75 teachers on staff and about 108 classes a week, overflowing yoga teacher training program that runs annually. I mean, yeah, we just like, we're growing faster than I ever had imagined. It's something that's, it's been super fun. It's been, I have not looked back to those Pentagon days and sort of thought, oh, I wish I still worked there. I am really proud of the business and all the adventures it's taken me on. So you had, so pre-pandemic, and this is great, you had three locations, you had 75-ish teachers on payroll. Did you even, I mean, did you know all of them? It just seems like it, beyond the scope of, of <laughs> being able to remember everyone's name at that point. Hey, you. Yeah, I would say I definitely knew all of the yoga teachers because they all auditioned for me. And so, um, yeah, I knew all the teachers. In addition to those teachers, we staffed, we staffed, I should say, past tense, our front desk 
with uh, work trade. So there we had probably an additional 75 people between the three locations who constantly opened up the studios, worked at the front desk, um, you know, did the intake of students and the sweeping of the floors and all of that stuff. And those people rotated pretty often. So definitely there were days when I would walk into the studio and not know the person sitting at the front desk and they would ask me, you know, who are you? And I'd kind of be like, I own this place. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) But thank you for working at the desk. (laughs) Right, right. Um, so, so you had the, the 75 employees, how many, uh, or 75 contractors, teachers? Yeah. So in the yoga world, it's pretty common. Everyone's a contractor. Okay. And so teachers might teach, you know, anywhere from two to eight classes a week for us, but then also teach at other studios around town. And that's just kind of the nature of the biz. And... I'm going to ask you later about how that affected your uh, eligibility for the PPP. Did you have, uh, did you have studio managers at that point who were actually on payroll? Yes, we had one full-time manager and five part-time managers, let's say in January of 2020, pre-pandemic. Plus I worked full-time and then my business partner at the time worked part-time as well. So between those, that sort of handful of folks, we had people as employees. And then 2020, as of January, was going to be gangbusters and was going to be record setting. What were your expectations as of January 2020? We were just winning. (laughs) We were... You were winning so much, you were getting tired of winning? We were winning so hard. Uh, um, Let's see. So January was a record-setting month for us. We more than doubled our sales the previous year. We were looking at expanding and building out a whole new location, and we had overflowing classes. So students were happy. Teachers were happy. Owners were happy. Landlords were happy. Everyone was happy. And then we had a pandemic. <laughs> and what were your revenue expectations heading into twenty or as as of January? What were, what were your what were your uh, what were your revenue expectations for twenty twenty? I was super excited that twenty twenty would be the year we would break a million dollars in revenue. And I had been on a really solid growth streak, which was something I was really prioritized of thirty percent growth year over year. And whether that's in revenue and attendance in classes, everything. Everything was just like growing 30% year over year, Um, including my own pay, which was super exciting and something I was always really proud about because I worked my ass off for this. So I also want to pay myself well and feel like I'm growing. Yeah. Well, uh, (laughs) I have have this strange feeling that 2020 might not present that 30% growth opportunity for for owner pay. And with that, I think that's a great place to to wrap up the pre-COVID set. We're going to move into the mid-COVID set. But but before we do that, as always, it is time for the guest's unsponsor. And at this point, uh, you're going to tell us about a small business that is an awesome company run by awesome people who produce an awesome product and is a small business worth supporting 
probably doesn't have the revenue at this point in the game to be advertising. So we're going to give them a free shout out. So Jess, tell us who today's episode is not brought to us by. This episode is not brought to you by an amazing company called Burlap and Barrel. It was started by a dear friend from college and Burlap and Barrel sources spices from around the world and then brings them direct to consumers without the middleman or the big companies slowing the whole process down. So I have discovered the most delicious cinnamon, which is not a thing I even knew I needed in my life, but I am now addicted to the Burlap and Barrel Royal Cinnamon and their entire lineup of spices is interesting and there's some things that are completely like common and everybody would have them in their spice drawer. And then there's some super random things that push me into learning new recipes and new ways to cook. And I'm just so proud of them as a company because they are making a tremendous social impact with the farmers that they source from and providing an amazing product to the consumers on the other end. And how do we find them? We find them at burlapandbarrel.com. And they've got their whole lineup available for purchase online. I'm looking right now, actually, in the very first spice. Maybe this is just based on my previous shopping history. But the very first spice you see is the Royal Cinnamon for $7.99 for this lovely little jar of it. Or maybe Alexa and Siri are just listening in. (laughs) Either way, how convenient. So delicious cinnamon, I'm going to get that. And I'm going to add it to my home cold brew. And and yeah. yeah cold brew coffee with cinnamon. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Time for time to get into the nitty gritty. You know, let's, uh, let's, let's dive right into this because I have this, I have this, this inkling that uh, COVID has not been kind to businesses built around in-person gatherings. So the date we always use on this, on this podcast is March 1st, because that was when the first U S COVID related death was. So talk to me about your March experience. When did you start to feel the impacts of COVID and what were those impacts? I started to feel the impacts of COVID right around March 1st, the early weeks of March when, you know, everyone started talking about this disease, the sickness that was coming and, oh, hmm, we should probably update the way we do classes should we consider not letting people share pillows? <laughs> Should we consider not touching students in our classes? Um, and there was just a lot of, of like unknowns and uh, making it up as we went along. And, and I, by we, I mean everyone in the industry. <laughs> like, what's the right way to go about this? Some places chose shut down immediately other places stayed open as long as they could um and the real turning point for yoga heights the real turning point came right around i remember this so distinctly march 17th or that weekend because that's my daughter's birthday and i was trying to give her a very happy birthday (laughs) meanwhile i was sobbing and vomiting from stress in the bathroom because that's when we were told by the city of DC, shut it down. Um, 
no more classes. And we, we really went into that full on shutdown situation. And when you, when you went into that shutdown situation, was it the same as it was here in San Diego where we were told basically this is going to be a two week thing? Yeah. I remember thinking like, okay, what do we need to do for the next couple of weeks to get through by April 1st, we'll get back to normal. Right. And so it's so traumatic that for two weeks we would have to somehow shut down. It also immediately forced us to find ways to go virtual. So I, I was not familiar with Zoom back then. I don't know. A lot of people weren't, right? Now yeah. that's like almost inconceivable. <laughs> I had never used it. Yeah. Wild, right? Um, we, I decided that since this was only going to be a short thing, we would just give away classes for free. And so we started using the YouTube live streaming feature to live stream classes from, at first it was within the studio and we had a whole setup with the computer and a microphone and a thing. And then when it got even stricter and we were like, okay, teachers shouldn't even be coming into the studio. Then we were giving them all the password to log into our YouTube account and they were all live streaming from their home. But we were doing it for free for a while and just hoping it would work out. And were, were you paying the teachers? Yes. Okay. That is one thing I've always committed to. Free for students, not for you. Yes. We did set up a fundraiser on GoFundMe right away with a call for um, students of ours and our community to support the teachers who were then out of work. Um, so I thought like, okay, you know, we'll get a couple hundred bucks and we can divide that up amongst our teachers who have lost the majority of their teaching schedule and income and over the next two months on that GoFundMe, our community came out so strong in support of our teachers. And we raised about $25,000, which wow. blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. And so I was able to just directly funnel that out to the teaching staff who we had them. If, if they felt that they needed financial assistance, they could ask. And we just were able to give them money so that they felt less of a hit during the whole shutdown. Right. Which felt really good. And I think that this is going to be a, a good segue into the PPP, but $25,000 sounds like a lot until you are splitting that between 75 teachers and, and probably not actually 75, but if it were 75 per, because I assume some didn't request and some, you know, that were either had other jobs or, or other opportunities, et cetera. But, you know, 25,000 divided by 75, uh, you know, <laughs> you're, you're looking at, at a few hundred dollars basically per, per teacher. So that's a good way, I think, to move into um, the, the PPP. So because, and this is where how you structure your, uh, your, your staff really comes into play here. So the PPP is the Payment Protection Program, which was basically designed to help pay, uh, by the, funded by the federal government, to help maintain your payroll at pre-COVID levels, basically to avoid a catastrophic spike in unemployment. So 
basically the the PPP is the formula was uh, basically eight weeks of your pre-COVID average payroll. So if you were paying people a thousand dollars a week, you would get eight thousand dollars. And if that money was used to as it was intended as payroll, then it would it will be it will be converted from a loan to a grant and will not need to be paid back. How were you affected by the way that you structured your um, your payroll as as mostly contractors? Were did their pay was it included in the PPP? Just walk us through that. Yeah, no. So the easy <laughs> answer is no. <laughs> um, the PPP was applied, or we could apply for it for the part-time employees and full-time one full-time employee that we had. So we were able to get about $21,000 from PPP to be spent within the next eight weeks. Um, because at the time that was the directive, like, yep, we'll come back to that. Spend it quickly if you wanted it forgiven. So, I mean, I'm not complaining cause I'll always take money and assistance where I can get it, but it was, it was a drop in the bucket in the long run. Um, right. so that was great. It went to keeping my managers employed and it was interesting because during that time period, completely unpredicted, but partly because of the pandemic, one of the part-time managers moved away. And so she was no longer employed. So I had this gap I had to like make up for because I had said we were going to be paying her that much money. Um, and I wanted to make sure that we used up all of that PP appropriately. And then additionally, the, our full-time manager left for a different job. So <laughs> I actually had this problem of like, oh, well, I got the PPP money to pay you. Now you're gone. And so I ended up hiring on a couple of my yoga teachers as employees to make sure that we used up our PPP money within that allotted time that we had to use it up. Yeah. We still haven't gotten the, we haven't been able to apply for the forgiveness for it. We got it through Citibank. No, you know, not trying to poke Citibank here, but um, we have yet to get the forgiveness application or information for it. So I'm assuming that it will be forgiven. I'm hoping it'll all be forgiven. Well, it's just another unknown. I'm over here with, with Union Bank, and I don't think that, I'll, not that I am like a huge fan of Citibank, I, I don't really have any feelings one way or the other, but I, I do genu- I, I generally appreciate the customer service of, of Union Bank, and that we have a, a good relationship. Shout out to Kathy, um, <laughs> our banker, our small business banker. Um, but I think that because of the way that things have been moving so quickly, that although there is now an application available to apply for forgiveness, what Kathy said was that basically to hold off because those, those applications aren't due for quite some time and to wait and see if, because I guess there's some bills floating around Congress to basically uh, to make forgiveness under certain amounts be automatic. Mm. And so that's yeah. kind of what, what we are waiting for. So and then just to give a little bit more context about the PPP, originally it had to be spent in those eight weeks to maintain payroll at essentially what would be pre-COVID 
full term, full time employee employment. So if you had five employees making uh, X, then you had to continue to pay five employees at X. Of course, that kind of mandates inefficiencies because then you have employees who are coming in, getting basically, basically getting paid to not do their job because they are oftentimes legally prohibited from doing their jobs, right? If, if, you, if your job is to go into a yoga studio and teach and you can't go into a yoga studio and teach, well, then you're just getting paid to do what exactly? So the Congress, in their infinite wisdom, adjusted the PPP in what? Halfway through week eight is what it felt like to me, where they, I think they extended it so that you could, I, I, yeah. and I, I need to look up the details here, but basically they extended it so that I think you had to pay it, over, you had to use that money over the course of like six months or something. That's too late for me. And it sounds like it was too late for you as well because we were working under the, the confines of the, of the bill as it was originally structured or the, the limitations as it was originally structured so that we would be able to be eligible for like for full loan forgiveness. But that money's gone, right? You're seven yeah. and a half weeks in. You're not going to be like, okay, hey guys, I know you, I paid you and you weren't really working too hard. So can you just work for me for another eight weeks for free? And then we'll kind of call it even. No, that's, that's obviously not how it's going to work. <laughs> so, so anyway. And also, can I just say here, I, this is where I, you know, have to get on my soapbox a little bit. Like I'm a really educated. We talked about holding several degrees um native english speaker and it's super hard for me to navigate this as a business owner and so i just like over and over think about what about those business owners who, who aren't native english speakers who are trying to navigate this system who are trying to hold on to their business and like it's got to be so incredibly hard for others out there so i'm just extremely grateful for the the amount of privilege that I have within working for this process and really, really, you know, big props to those who don't have all that privilege and are still navigating the sun and finding ways to make it work. Yeah. I don't know what I would have done with, uh, with VP of small business loans, uh, Kathy over at Union Bank. Okay, so moving on down our path of acronym lane here, we'll move on to the EIDL, which is more loan and less grant, although there is a small portion of it that, that uh, is forgiven immediately. And uh, basically, it's the, the best loan uh, terms you'll ever see. It's 30 years, it's uh, three and three quarter percent. Most small business uh, loans available start traditionally at like, eight percent eight to ten percent is kind of what what we've seen over the last few years as we've like explored the idea and i think that you and i are similar in that we both had never had loans ever before and hadn't really foreseen a need for it because business was booming and business was continuing to grow and you were you know you were forecasting 30 percent growth and you were going to crack that million dollar mark we were forecasting somewhere between like 30 and 150 200% growth now we're down like 70% so that's that's pretty neat and we actually turned down the EIDL and closed our application at first and then ended up going back a few months later and being like oh you know what this this pandemic turns out it's more it, it's more of a 12 month thing and and less of a 12 week thing 
Did you have a somewhat of a similar experience or, or maybe just, just uh, forget my experience altogether. Just tell me about yours. <laughs> yeah, my EIDL experience was that I was extremely reluctant to take on any debt because we've never had any debt. And we've been really for- fortunate to go through the last six years without having the need alone. And it was scary to think of, well, if I get this loan and then things go even farther down the crapper, <laughs> then I'm just stuck with a loan I have to repay. Um, so I fought it for a really long time. And I let the email sit in my inbox that basically was like, your loan application is ready to go. Click here when you're ready to get this money. And I just let it sit and sit and sit. Um, and then finally, I, I don't know, turned into a grown-up and decided it was time to, to get that money. <laughs> um, I, we got $150,000, which for us is pretty huge, you know, certainly a nice security blanket. Um, and I immediately, once it hit my bank account, moved it over into a bank account that I don't look at. And I'm trying to forget that it's even there and trying not to spend a single dime of it. So that's my EIDL strategy is it's only for extreme need should we get to that place. Because there, there is a little bit of, or not a little bit, but a lot of uncertainty. I mean, that's like the, the word of the year, I feel like, is, is uncertainty around just how long the pandemic will last. And I think that it, one thing that is really difficult as a rent-paying business owner is how long do you continue to pay rent while you are losing money, right? If, if this thing's like... If you had imagined, if you had a crystal ball and someone said, Hey, this is actually going to last for another 10 years, are you in a position where you would keep your doors open right now? No. <laughs> then I would scrape together whatever savings I had and go live on a beach somewhere. Well, <laughs> not, not a bad option. <laughs> um, no, I, that's the question every day, right? Like, how do you make decisions about? keeping employees on the payroll versus just taking on more work for myself, but also retaining more of that revenue for myself and the business. Um, It's, I hate this constantly unknowing when will things ever look normal again, making me age really quickly and get white hairs. (laughs) Uh, I feel the exact same way. Yeah, it's the it's the uncertainty around it that is the worst because, you know, back when it was okay, it's March seventeenth and it's going to be this is going to be a two week lockdown. Okay, okay, that 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 sucks, but we can make it through. And then okay, uh, two months. Okay, and then now it's like we're in month you know month seven, eight, whatever, and we're we're still not seeing any real end in sight, right? I mean, we're we're still in you know, 50, 60 something thousand new cases every single day here in the US. I have the the last time I checked, I think one out of every 150 Americans currently has COVID. So we are not trending in the right direction here. So when you're, when you're, I was just gonna say, so when when you're taking out, when you're deciding, hey, am I gonna take this big loan? Am I gonna take on, 
you know, th- this big liability that's going to follow me for the next year, like 30 years is the term, you know, so you're going to be paying $600 a month for basically essentially in perpetuity. Right. And like, yes, you, you, if, if you, if you keep that yeah. in a, in an interest bearing account, you could probably pay that off. But for a lot of us small business owners, like, okay, well, if you want to keep the lights on, you are dipping into the red and how long can you continue to do that? And so I'm interested, have you kind of thought about how long you can continue in this exact climate here today? And do you have those kind of moments of doubt? Yeah, I have really been lucky that our landlords have worked with us and um, are deferring rent. And so, you know, in a very simplified formula, our expenses have gone down to about a third of what they were pre-pandemic. Our revenue has also shrunk to about a third of what it was pre-pandemic. So we're, we're sort of flatlining in a somewhat stable way right now. What's at question for us is when will people want to come back to studios? Will they want to come back to studios? Do people still have the patience to do yoga in front of their computers? Because I don't. <laughs> um, and so we're seeing a lot of that, like Zoom fatigue, and that causes people to cancel their memberships. So little by little, even the most loyal students that we had are coming to us and saying like, hey, you know, I tried, I, I hung on with you guys for six months, but I can't just keep paying you for nothing. And nor do I want them to, right? I don't want to just be taking people's money if they're not actually doing the class and actually enjoying the service that we provide. Um, so we're seeing this slow decrease. And we've been able to pivot a lot of ways to try to fight against that. We're offering classes outdoors in big, beautiful open fields. We're offering classes in um, new spaces that are a larger square footage so that we can have more people and maintain social distancing. Um, And we've even started to offer a couple classes back in the studio. We're doing a lot of surveys of our students and members throughout to constantly keep tabs on what do they actually want. And that's interesting because it's a lot easier to say you want yoga in person in a survey than it is to actually come in person and show up for the class. So we're, we're balancing that right now. We had about 30% of our respondents from our most recent survey say, yes, we want in-person classes in the studio. Yes, do it. So we set it up for that. And we, you know, with social distancing, we can only have eight people in the room at a time and we have all the safety measures and we're taking the temperatures and we're doing all the things and still only about two or three people come per class because it's still scary. Yeah. You still have to wear, you have to wear a mask and it's, I'm, I feel for them, the students, because I get it. Like it's people aren't ready for that quite yet. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a long time before like, okay, COVID is cured tomorrow and you get to move into phase 
four or five or or whatever your whatever the DC phase system is, where you get to reopen everything to full capacity. I don't think that people are going to be coming back in droves right away. It's not like that faucet just gets turned back on to, to you know full blast. I think that people are still going to be hesitant based off of their last six to eight to 40 months of experience or however long this interminable thing continues. Bef- it's, it's just going to be, it's, it's going to be a period of adjustment. Yeah. The culture has changed. People aren't going to want to be touched, right? Like it, you kind of immediately cringe when you think about like, Oh, someone touching my face while I'm laying in Shavasana. Ew, absolutely not. Never. No. <laughs> so, there will be permanent cultural shifts and norms that we will have to reckon with and figure out how that looks in the future. I just had a, a brief moment of sorrow because those uh, adjustments are like one of my favorite parts about the, the rare yoga classes that I do go to. Yeah. The manual adjustments. Yeah. Same as a teacher. We love giving them. Right. Of course. Of course. Like hand, hands on assists connect you to your students and you feel their energy and you feel their breath and like there's such aha moments that happen in yoga when you get to actually physically touch the students and so yeah there's like a mourning the loss of that yeah so you're a yoga teacher and you're perfectly zen and in a perpetual state of uh blissful harmony right (laughs) uh just kidding you're a human so you've spent seven years yeah. building this business and you were poised for a record year and cracking into seven figures, uh, which is a huge accomplishment. And that was sort of stolen away by these unforeseen, unpredictable circumstances. I'm, I know you said you, <laughs> March 17th, your, your daughter's birthday, that uh, you were basically like intermittently sobbing while stress vomiting all at the same time. It sounds like a pretty picture. I'm interested to hear what have your kind of uh, (laughs) stress sessions looked like since then, like short, long, angry, depressed, uh, numb to it all. Uh, You know, I I know that like personally, I, I had a pretty like dark, like couple weeks there where I was like pretty angry at our national leadership for the, the lack of national leadership. Uh, you know, it's really hard where you, you've put in all this emotional investment and time invested into building this business that you think you're going to have this record-breaking year. How have you kind of coped with that uh, emotionally? Uh, it's an ongoing process. Let's not ever, like, <laughs> project the false sense that, like, and I've got it all figured out now. Um, I like it's it's like a roller coaster that goes around in a loop and so you have your ups and you have your downs and I would say on a weekly basis it varies between up and down um personally the one of the hardest parts of all of this has just been managing my home and my life because I have two small children one was um you know her school shut down and so suddenly I'm at home having to figure out like how do we do homeschooling for a four-year-old what does that even look like and do we stay in our nanny share for my younger daughter? Do we like have this sort of COVID pod of families and how do we manage that? Um, my husband has a job and so I can't just make him be the stay at home dad while I work full time. 
so it's just been um, juggling all these different balls. And then other things that have peaked the stress levels. Um, my business partner decided to leave the business. Oh, right. We haven't even talked about that. That was exciting. <laughs> I say exciting. I'm really thinking terrible, horrible, scary, terrifying, awful. Um, but it's something that happened in the last few months. We, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's also like a resurgence of a very important social movement, Black Matter, that's really important in the world. And then interestingly, in the yoga studio context, it's become really important for us to um, spend time thinking about like, how does the studio actually serve the community where we exist? And are we living up to our mission statement of everybody, every level, every budget? And we do a lot of talking about like community and being yoga for everyone, but like, are we really? And in the last, well, since June, I've been on a really heightened, I'd say, level of thought and processing and work in that regard and taken some probably, not probably, definitely well-earned hits as a yoga studio um, in that regard. So the combination of all these things has made it probably the hardest year of my life. But to put a silver lining on it as yoga teachers so often do. I think it's going to make us stronger as a studio, as a community. It's pushed me to work smarter and more efficiently. It's pushed me to pay managers and delegate in ways that I didn't previously um, and trust in their abilities to do things and not be the perfectionist micromanager quite so much that I may have been in the past. Um, and so there's, there is good that's coming out of all of this, despite the large amount of bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, to a certain point, if you are just breaking even, I know it's really difficult when you have, when you had such lofty aspirations for what the year and, and reasonable expectations for what the year was going to look like, it makes it. I think that much harder to see revenues cut 50, 60, 70%. But if you are streamlining and you're finding those new efficiencies and you're able to carry those on out of COVID, and by the way, this is a great transition into the post-COVID segment of the show where we talk about adjustments being made and, and hopefully some silver linings. Um, it it's it makes it i guess a, a little bit easier if you're able to take that large step back and look at it in kind of the broader context of well i'm keeping my lights on and i'm learning things and i have a, a significant other who's able to help support uh when my income is down and all of this sounds oh so very familiar by the way <laughs> yeah um, but that doesn't mean that you can always have that incredibly rational perspective in that big picture. Sometimes you're just like, F, can we just turn the lights off and can I just go like curl up and just like go to sleep for six months and wake up and this will all be over? Yeah, I've been cussing much more in the last six months than I did previously. I've been crying much more in the last six months than I did previously. I've been baking and eating <laughs> so much. 
Uh, I'm very like a very basic bitch in this regard. I like, <laughs> I developed a sourdough starter at home and learned how to bake sourdough bread, which I think all us basic girls learned how to do in the yep. pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then came around to realizing like, oh my God, I'm gaining so much weight. I need to stop baking much. <laughs> Uh, but it's all part of the process. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think that what gets me through the dark crawling under the covers with a bottle of wine days are the emails and the feedback from students at the yoga studio that say, thank you so much for keeping on during appreciate so much right now. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And I get those emails and I get those bits of feedback enough that it makes it all okay. And it's like a little bit of fuel to get back up and keep going. Yeah. It's like you're, you're, the analogy that I've been using lately is this podcast in particular is about interviewing people who are climbing up that mountain to financial success, business success, however you want to look at it but haven't made it yet and aren't entirely sure they are going to make it. And in keeping them with that analogy, I think it's, it's about putting one foot in front of the next and never just completely stopping and, and, and give, you know, turning back around basically. Um, so what is the, what is the next few months look, look like for you? You know, you, you live in Washington, DC. It's not exactly known for its warm winters. So I assume the, the outdoor big open spaces, those are going to come to an end soon. Uh, what else does the, does the winter have in store as the days get shorter and colder and people are theoretically forced back inside? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pass. We... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And scene, we're done. No, um, I think that as the weather starts to get cold, people will be forced to reckon with, one, do I want to keep doing yoga? And two, do I want to do it on the computer? Or am I willing to take the risk of going inside? And we'll see how many are opting into that category of taking the risk and coming inside. So the plan is that we are continuing a full virtual Zoom schedule and we're basically an online yoga studio in the sense that you can seven days a week, 6.30 a.m. until nine o'clock at night, you can take a yoga class with us via Zoom and there's plenty of options. But we will add more and more in person because there's just a magic that happens when you're in person versus not. Um, even if that means you're in a room spaced out from people with a mask on, uh, it's still nice to be around humans. <laughs> um, and I, a little anecdote about outside classes. I won't miss mowing the grass where we do the yoga. I, I, as a studio owner, in my list of duties, am now also like, you know, lawn maintenance and have been out there every Sunday mowing the lawn with my little push mower and then raking all the grass because who wants all that grass stuck to the bottom of their yoga mat? And I literally have like calluses on my thumbs from this new type of work that I'm not used to. So I won't miss the outdoors that much. That is amazing. 
So I usually ask, uh, I, I wrap things up by asking what is the best way to support you? And I feel like under normal circumstances, under pre-COVID circumstances, it would be very difficult for a national audi- a national listening audience of, you know, nines of listeners to support you. But one of the benefits that might even continue beyond COVID is that you now have Zoom classes. So with that, anyone can support you. So what is the best way to support you? Yes. Yeah, so come do yoga with us. We are at yogaheightsdc.com. And we have a little bit of something for everybody, beginner classes, advanced classes, power yoga, slow, gentle yin yoga. We have one class called Gentle Yoga for Anxiety Relief because, you know, we've all got it right now. Um, So that, yeah, we would love to see everybody log in and join us on Zoom classes, no matter where you're coming from. No matter where you're coming from, because it's for everybody on and every level on every budget such a nice summation of our mission statement thank you <laughs> of course uh all right jess thank you so much i've loved hearing about ev- the all the adjustments that you're making and look forward to hearing how the this w- with the spring comes a, a fresh bloom of business for you thank you so much we hope so Thanks so much to Jess Pierno for being on the show. Since this is a pandemic that will seemingly never end, maybe now's a good time to sign up for some at-home yoga classes over Zoom at yogaheightsdc.com. Yoga for everybody, every level, and every budget. At the end of every show, I give a shout out to a small business that has no idea it's coming and a small biz worthy of your support, something I call the unsponsor. Today's show is not brought to you by Be Kind Vibes. They make cozy clothing with a retro style, all about spreading positivity, growing community, and inspiring love and compassion for each other and the natural world. Everything is ethically sourced, a tree is planted for every item sold, and they are owned by some awesome humans. Be Kind Vibes is basically the exact kind of brand that deserves your wallet's vote. Check out their gear at BeKindVibes.com. Speaking of websites, we have one. Check out smallbizgoneviral.com for all episodes and updates. And while you're there, please send suggestions for unsponsors. I've run out of friends with businesses. Thank you, Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates, Worldometer, NPR, Robinhood Snack, Morning Brew, and Statista Daily News emails. Finally getting caught up on Instagram. Thanks to our awesome intern, Kaylin Kwan. Follow at smallbizgoneviral to see what's new. Someday soon this will all be over, and it will be over even sooner if we all just do our part. Please wear a mask and be socially distant. And perhaps most importantly, vote! From an office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and edited before and after work hours, this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And we're back with our quick bonus segment. This is a lightning round of just a few quick questions as a as a thank you for sticking around and listening to this entire episode. Okay, Jess, how do you feel when someone you've known for a long time asks about the status or progress of your company? Currently, it makes me feel sad. So <laughs> I try not to talk about it and move on to the next topic. Fair enough. What are some common misconceptions about your business? 
there's a lot of misconceptions about yoga in general, um, that it's for yuppie white women and very expensive yoga pants. There's a misconception that you have to uh, be deeply peaceful and spiritual and just sit in a lotus pose and be meditating all day. And it's none of that. Yoga is really, really for everybody. Anyone can benefit from it. It can be really sweaty and active and fast and you can play music that you like in the background. And I believe that that's still authentic yoga and you can still respect the roots of the tradition in a very modern 2020 context. And what is your least favorite part about entrepreneurship? My least favorite part of entrepreneurship is never knowing when to quit working because there's always more work to be done. And when you are your own boss, you don't really get that person who tells you like, good job, have a nice weekend, see you on Monday. That's so accurate. And because we like to end this show on an up note, what is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? My favorite part about being an entrepreneur is freedom. I can show up to the office or work from my couch. I can wear whatever I want to wear and I never ever have to wear shoes. Love it. And on that simple up note, we are going to end it for real. Jess, thank you so much. Can't wait to talk to you in another six months or so when this is all over and hear about how you are back on that path to hitting that million dollar run rate. I love it. Thank you so much.